thinking of starting a podcast? Well, try Anchor. It's free, easy to use, and its creation tools allow you to record and edit directly from your phone or computer. It'll even take care of distribution for you with a single tap so you can be heard on platforms such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. Also, Anchor is the only place you can publish video podcasts directly to Spotify. Man, you can even make money using Anchor in a couple of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. It's truly everything you need in one place to make a podcast. So make sure to go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Again, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. Welcome to another edition of the It's Cavalier podcast. As always, it's your boy, Mac. Joining me today is my co-host, Corey Walsh of Fear the Sword. How you doing, Corey? I uh, have minor heart palpitations, but it's fine because we survived the uh, Knicks almost comeback, which didn't feel like it should have been a comeback at any point in this game. It's more that we I feel like we were kind of just slipping away after that third quarter. Yeah, dude. I don't know what that's all about. I don't know if it's just... The Cavs were not ready for the onslaught of threes <laughs> that they got in the barrage. I mean, Grimes, man, that that kid can shoot. Uh, mm-hmm. He was able to kind of bring the the Knicks back almost by himself in the fourth quarter. Uh, with that being said, the Cavs just beat the New York Knicks to advance to 29-19. and 19. And by doing so, I'm not sure many people realize this, they've gone... 10 games over 500 for the first time since the second LeBron tenure in Cleveland. I mean, that's over four seasons ago. Like, wow. Just wow. Dude, that's crazy. Yeah, that's mixed emotions. <laughs> it's like nice. And it's like, wow. Yeah, I didn't it, realize how sad life was. I had, uh, you know, I subtle reminders, subtle reminders there, just kind of grounding people. It's like positive and negative, you know, two and one there. But, mm-hmm. Uh, dude, this this was a game in which you legitimately felt like you got contributions from just about everybody. Um, DG posted his fifth straight double-double on the night. Um, he didn't really shoot too well going 6-19 from the field and hitting one three-pointer, although it was very timely. I'm not sure you can agree <laughs> with me on that. I was like, yep. if there was ever a time for you to convert on a three-point attempt, that was a perfect time for him. I think giving that Knicks uh, bench a nice little like wave set off. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, okay, DG. Uh, there's still a lot of time left, but <laughs> DG is DG's one to watch. He's uh, <laughs> he's he's not one I pegged to have to be like one of those types of players that will that will taunt you a little bit. But he's starting to come out of his shell this season. <laughs> I would love if Garland turned into like a heel of sorts. That would kind of be pretty, that'd be pretty fun. Cause we always, we kind of think of him as like this, like genuinely nice guy who just is like, he keeps his head down and just operates in silence, but it'd be fun to see him every once in a while, poke the other team a little bit. That's kind of what it seems like he's starting to do. Like you, you know, the type of player that Jared Allen is, he's laid back. You're not really going to hear him chirp too much. But I can't tell you, even like creating some of these highlights that I do for the uh, for the YouTube channel, just listening to DG scream and one, it's <laughs> it, it's dude, he's he's starting to come out of his box, and I love it. I mean, uh, couldn't come at a better time for a team that is down so many players. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's just I don't know. It's it's a sight to see. I'm glad even in a night where he's not able, like I said, to shoot too well, that he's able to add. A little bit more. He uh, posted his fifth straight double-double, like I said, by dishing out 12 assists. And, I mean, the one thing that's really stood out to me uh, during this long stretch of games is just the fact that these th- this team has got to find a way to move the ball around a little bit better when it's not in DG's hands. I don't know if you feel the same way, but um, the offense just stagnates when DG's not on the floor. Yeah, no, I feel the same exact way. And like you think that the Rondo uh, injury with him coming back was going to kind of fix the issue. It does fix it to some extent. But the thing that makes Darius so important to this offense is not only that he's such a good facilitator, but the scoring threat is like that's irreplaceable. 
like off the floor. Like you can, I Rondo. It's nice that he has randomly decided to become a three point uh, contestant. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like, it's a, I won't be surprised if he's in the three point contest at this rate because his percentages have been pretty decent. But at the same time, this is like the minutes that I feel like Brandon Goodwin also brought more to the table in a weird way than what Rondo brings because Goodwin also is a, a little more aggressive scoring because Rondo is like randomly aggressive where you're like wondering why in his head he decided to shoot, but Goodwin makes a lot of good decisions offensively, but obviously neither of them are going to really be able to fill this Garland hole. Yeah. I mean, it's just one of those things you're missing Colin Sexton, who's possibly the team, you know, you can really, you know, one a or one B, however you would like to put it. He is the guy to go out there and get you a bucket. So if you don't have him, you know, without DG on the floor as well, this offense just seems to crater. Um, there's there's rarely ball movement in that regard. And that's a big reason why it's so hard to to get these guys rests. Uh, these guys rest just because the offense within itself is just out of sync when you don't have a primary facilitator out there. Um, outside of DG, man. One of the most positive things that occurred on the night was just th- the sheer brute force that Isaac Okoro played with. I mean, dude brought energy all throughout the night. And he was a menace defensively, um, as I've tweeted out many times over and over again. He is a beast in transition. Mm. And, I mean, one of my favorite plays on the night was when he bullied uh, Nerlens Noel out of the way to grab a rebound. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, he just flat out pushed him out the way. Um, and what do you make of Isaac Okoro and like, what would his emergence mean to this Cavs team moving forward? Him becoming like a consistent scorer, not necessarily shooter, but just like a threat. Like you said, he is so good in transition, but like, even if he got a, like a decent amount of reliability on his jumper would completely change the outlook of his team. Cause like you feel at times offensively, if he isn't, becoming a factor in transition the defense just sags off of him and then it just depends on if his shot's going to hit that night but if there was a chance that he could have his own gravity offensively where defenders need to pay a little more space to him that alone would open up a lot more whole uh, a lot more paths for players to cut on this offense and it it just like we all know that he's young it's going to take time I feel like we say this a decent amount that his growth is so important and everyone says it, but when you really think about it, he, he is like him reaching that next step is honestly better than us, like acquiring a Karis Lever type. Like, I, I feel like that's a very bold statement to say, but I, I, I personally think that's more important than any acquisition we could get for just trying to flip like Rubio's expiring into something else. I mean, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I mean, it's not a stretch to say that. And um, don't get me wrong. You know, I'm never going to – I'm not going to diss Karis LeVert, but I'll say this. I mean, if the Cavs were to trade for him, people need to come to a realization of a few different things. Number one, guy's going to be 29 when he hits unrestricted free agency. Um, last time I checked, that's the exact same position that one Colin Sexton finds himself mm. in. And he's much younger. And to me, he's a much more efficient player. Karis LeVert is not that efficient. Yeah, the issue with Karis LeVert, and like the pretty much the issue with all, all these shooting guard fits that you see people wanting to trade for is like when Colin Sexton comes back, because he is going to come back yeah, more I mean, likely than not. What is what are we going to do? Deal. Yeah, it's like, okay, so now we just traded for a player who does exactly what Colin Sexton does. We're going to, what, have him fill this role for half the year and into the postseason and then be like, well, now we have two of the same exact type of player. So we traded an asset away for a clone of a player that we already have who's, like you said, older and will age out of this timeline for our team way faster. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I just don't get it. I mean, in the short term, it makes a lot of sense for this season, con- mm-hmm. considering, you know, a lot of the things that we've already talked about, them needing shot creation, um, you know, things of that nature. But it just, Karis LeVert in particular, just doesn't make any sense to me. So I'm right there with you in regards to that. If Isaac Okoro can 
develop some type of reliable shot. Um, it doesn't even have to be from three-point range. It can be from the mid-range. Mm-hmm. And he continues to provide what he does on a nightly basis defensively, just putting the clamps on guys. <laughs> it's just that's invaluable to have. And he's going to be on that rookie deal for a little while longer. So that's that's also something good. Uh, with that being said, man, the perhaps for for most people, if you're like me, you didn't quite know what to expect out of Kevin Love coming into the season. <laughs> now, I know my good friend here, Corey, has always been on the K-Love train. <laughs> Probably yeah, yeah. never really got <laughs> off. But I tell you, man, certain points, this this Kevin Love experience over these, what is this? Is this his eighth season in Cleveland? Uh, it, what, 2014 was the first year? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Through these eight years in Cleveland, he's had so many ups and downs. He's been involved in so many trade rumors from day one. And now he is finally living up to his contract, in my opinion. And he is providing the Cavs exactly what they need off the bench. I mean, 20 points, 11 rebounds. He went six and 12 from the field. And, you know, what's funny about that is all of those shots were from three point range Mm. and he, he, it's at certain points he was just on fire. I mean, you can say what you want about him defensively at this point. Although I think he's been sneakily good on that end this year. Um, he just, this, the Cavs don't win, don't win this game without him. I guess that's my, uh, that's my takeaway. They do not win this game without old man, Kevin Love. So, Shed some light on his performance, Corey. The thing about Kevin Love that's so torturous is that, like, you you want him to start solely because you know what he brings. But if you take Kevin, like, you swap Kevin and Dean and from starting lineup to bench, I feel like the team becomes infinitely more stale offensively with him in the starting lineup. Now, that sounds like a weird thing to say because he's one of yeah. our most talented players. But it's like, so when you think of this Cavaliers bench this season, the scoring punches for the majority of the year or like the, the true impactful players coming off the bench were Rubio love and Jetty. And if you take Rubio's out, Rondo doesn't bring that same punch per se. Kevin love Jetty's just out of sorts right now. Yeah. And if Jetty goes cold, he's basically a non-factor because he's a, a true confidence player. And I, I don't get me wrong. Jetty has been phenomenal this year. Oh, yeah. If you take it in like the large stretch, but if you take away Kevin Love from this bench and then you have a cold Jetty, what is our, what, what is the most valuable thing this bench will bring to us in a game to game basis? And that's what with Kevin Love coming off the bench, scoring 20, it really just brings this team a threat that defenses will need to rely on even when the starters aren't even out there. And he is also such a good facilitator at the same time, even though he had some weird turnovers today, but overall he just brings way too much to this team and it can't be overstated. Completely agree, man. Yeah. In regards to the turnovers, I think he was forcing a little bit, Um, Mm -hmm. kind of the same thing with DG. I mean, DG had, I want to say six turnovers on the night and a lot of those were just, ill-advised um but even with that said what they are able to provide in returns facilitation and offense just offsets that um i mean especially in, in in dg's regard you know having the ball in your hands more often you're going you're prone to turn the ball over more we see this with guys who who tote the rock for most of the game it's just one of those things that is inherently that it comes with the territory mm-hmm. um Outside of all of those guys, man, let's talk about Evan Mobley. You know, he was stellar again, providing more of what we've grown accustomed to from him, which is like dominant two-way play. Uh, He had another double-double, 15 points, 12 boards, and dished out five dimes. Like, love to see that. That was a highly touted aspect of his game coming out of USC. But we cannot talk about Evan Mobley without at least mentioning those late-game free throws what do the Cavs need to do? Because I don't know if you've paid attention to this, and I'm sure you have, but he's, his his three throws have been off these last couple of games. Um, really, the Cavs as a whole. I was going to say, I feel like it's contagious. Dude, <laughs> I don't. We got over the COVID-19 two. infection, but it feels like we have a free throw infection at the same time. <laughs> right. It's like, I mean, people are just scared when they go to the line now. 
<laughs> tonight, 11 of 21. I mean, what can you really do outside of shoot? Just, just lock them in a gym, all of them, and just make them shoot uh, all night. I don't know. The Cavs, th- this almost, this really was the, the, the key determining factor. And I want to say the game against Oklahoma City too. There's, there's mm-hmm. just so many different, so many different games that the free throw shooting has reared its ugly head. But tonight in particular, the Cavs had a almost lost the game based upon this. Um, just purely in regards to Evan Mobley, do you think confidence is playing a factor in him kind of missing a lot of these freebies? Um, I feel like you know free throws are just such a mental thing. That I don't know if it's necessarily confidence because I don't I don't know about you, but I don't really see him shying away from his offensive game in general. And I feel like when players, especially younger players, get like the yips in a lot of ways, they kind of stem away from what they know could risk them going to the line. And Evan Mobley hasn't been a player in any of the games I've been watching to really shy away from attacking the basket. He hasn't become like more of a perimeter or trying to take uh, pull up jumpers more often. His game has kind of stayed kind of the same. So I'm not necessarily worried. I feel like his shot mechanics are still like kind of clunky in general. Yeah, it was very slow release on the on the jump shot too, but I'm 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 guessing that this is something that will eventually clear itself up. Mm-hmm. I think it's just a rough patch for Mobley, honestly, like, which is fine, you know, cause you just have to remember he's a rookie in college. You don't really, he probably has already surpassed or he's very close to surpassing how many games he has played at USC last year. So it's kind of, it's probably like a little bit of a wall. Maybe uh, that's the only thing I could really uh, think of it possibly amounting to, but overall, I'm not really that worried about Mobley in the free throws. I'm more worried about the team as a whole in the free throws because I feel like as a whole, this team is like certainly below <laughs> uh, NBA average in free throws over probably the past, I would say, what? What would you think, like three weeks? Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> not been a pretty sight. I mean, tonight does nothing to inspire confidence uh, in that regard. Now, I'll say this too. Like, it's not just the free throws. Turnovers have been have been up. Like mm-hmm. 19 tonight to the Knicks 11. Uh, but they did have 29 assists to the Knicks 21. So that's certainly something that to keep an eye on. But I don't know. You just – JB's got to lock these guys in and, and just make <laughs> them shoot. Just make them shoot for hours. <laughs> I, don't, like, I don't know how else to, to really to make things better in that regard because they've just – just go to fundamentals. I don't know. I don't know what the hell to do. But at least they yeah. – yeah, I feel like a lot of NBA players, like if you're in the NBA, you more likely than not will hit your free throws because you're just that good at basketball. Unless you're like Dwight Howard, where for some reason, no matter how long you're in the NBA, you'll never be a consistent free throw shooter. But I think with this team, it's it's just gonna it's gonna work its way out. It's probably gonna wane and flow. And right now we're just a real dip in the total axis of the season. <laughs> this is a good way to put it. Uh Corey. Funny story. We finally got to see Dean Wade. <laughs> I, you know, out of his prison. I think uh, Dean Wade should send us a thank you. And Cavs fans should not send us anything because we really did a disservice to our guy, Lori. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we alluded to as much on the last episode. Uh, with that being said, that's, I guess, a good segue into uh, discussing Lowry Markkinen and his untimely injury uh, that came against the Oklahoma city thunder. It's just, man, that's, that is so unfortunate for a player that many people are, especially many Cavs fans are, I feel like are underappreciated. Um, the, the shooting percentages, they come and go, but the intangibles that he provides and the ability to defend, in my opinion, um, three through five at spurts is, it's invaluable. I mean, it's a big reason why the lineup works in Cleveland, especially when you're not getting like consistent presence at the two guard, having Lowry be able to be out there and convert from the perimeter. And, you know, it's a, it's a tall presence inside defensively. It's mm-hmm. just sucks, man. I mean, obviously we have not lost him for the season. Uh, you know, like we have Rubio and, and Sexton, but it's still a tough, 
time to lose him at. Um, and so I guess my question for you, my friend, is how what is the best approach to this? Because we saw them start Dean Wade tonight. And, you know, by all means, Dean Wade was not terrible tonight. 13 points, I want to say. Um, five rebounds, he went four of eight from the field, four of seven from three. So if you're just purely looking at things from a statistical standpoint, outside of the plus minus, uh, because let's not let's not mince words here. Larry Markin is like a, a plus minus savant. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> he's just he, he's a plus minus darling. But from a, a purely statistical, like box score stat sheet standpoint, Dean Wade provided precisely with the type of um stat line that you would see that we've grown accustomed to from from Lowry so again my question to you is like what can the Cavs do to kind of get through this stretch of games that we're um, probably going to lose him for I would say stay the course that we saw today I mean yeah Dean I I feel like this is a real insult to Dean Wade even though we just gave him a starting spot by (laughs) by uh, by our merit you know (laughs) but uh he always uh, he kind of also is like uh the uh, Walmart brand version of Lori Market in some ways. Like Lori is, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we say it about Kevin Love, and now we have to say it about Lori at the same time. It's just that, like you know, he's going to give us the threes, stretch the floor, which is what we were getting out of Lori. He's a very decent perimeter defender, which Lori was not was more of an interior presence, I would say. But length always goes a long way, and the only thing Dean Wade really does that or can't do that Laurie can do is that he's seven feet tall <laughs> and uh, Dean Wade at the end of the day, the thing that Laurie has kind of underappreciated about Laurie is that he was a rim threat at all times. Like he had a lot of times where he was just able to just throw it at into the basket at people's throats. Oh, that, I don't, that's my favorite. I love seeing that from him. And that was him going up for a jam. Yeah. And I don't know if we're going to be seeing a lot of that from Dean anytime soon i think dean's more comfortable with his perimeter game than he necessarily is with attacking the basket but i would say that's probably the best way to kind of patchwork our way through this lorry injury which when i initially saw the injury i was just like yeah so what tour because like at this point you were seeing on twitter it was like all the twitter doctors came out and like oh achilles (laughs) oh ACL. I'm like, ACL. End of the world. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, so you, it's always the end of the world before it's like a like a positive type of tweet in regards to injury. It's like, oh, everybody has to immediately go towards worst case scenario. Yeah, I said uh, uh, on Twitter, I'm like, according to the MD I just acquired from Twitter, I uh, definitely think it's not ACL. <laughs> it's definitely ankle, seeing as the ankle was what hit the ground. And, you know, I'm not a doctor or anything, but I struggle to figure out how the, the knee is affected by your ankle rolling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, um, for what, what, what it's worth, I think, what is it, a high ankle sprain that he's been mm-hmm. diagnosed with? Um, and I think that generally carries along like a four to six weeks type of uh, timeline in regards to recovery, in regards to the severity of the injury, but I could be wrong. Um, That could translate to like 10 or more games. So it could carry us through the trade deadline. I mean, yeah. And then that's, you know, hints. What what are the Cavs going to actually do? Are they going to pull the trigger on a trade that'll bring in another shot creator? Or I just, I don't know. That's why I struggle with in in that regard but we'll get to that uh in a little while when we get to the mailbag portion of the episode um it was nice to see ed davis out there you know we got ed davis sighting uh due to jared allen's uh missing the game due to reported illness um and i don't know about you man but but i am pleasantly surprised with the impactful play he provides anytime he sees the court like Dude is not going to provide you with a ton in terms of like scoring really at all, but he'll provide you some solid defense. Um, that's just my takeaway from it. It's like anytime, you know, Ed Davis takes the court, <laughs> you know, you're going to get one of two things. You're going to get rebounding. You're going to get defense. That's, that's really for him. I mean, you can't really ask too much more. You almost got a fist fight with him and Nerlens Noel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Towards... What, do you think that was a like a flagrant worthy foul? You think the Cavs kind of got away with one on that? 
Uh, I didn't really think so, but I feel like I never can judge those <laughs> accurately. You know, I always feel like I'm like, come on, man, don't get mad at Ed. <laughs> like, you think Ed at his old age was ready to get into a tussle with Nerlens Noel? Right. I mean, I don't know. The Cavs like seem to be frustrating a lot of teams this year. Like, <laughs> like I don't yeah. know if like they're like chirping at people because we've seen a couple of outbursts this year. Um, and we, we just saw it with Lou Dort the other day. Yeah, I know. It's like the weirdest people too. It's the people you, well, Joe Ingles, I feel like was the most, like the most expected, I guess, out of the group. Lou Dort kind of really caught me by surprise though. I mean, yeah, caught me by surprise too. I, and don't get me wrong. I do like Lou Dort's game. Um, you know, I, I like what he provides, but that was a kind of a cheap shot. And then tonight, um, I don't know. It's just one of those things. Like obviously Ed was trying to prevent uh, an easy basket by Nerlens and it did pay off. Yep. Um, you missed the free throws. So the Cavs <laughs> makes have that in common tonight. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but with that being said, you know, Ed, um, he just kind of falls in line with this, this trope of the Cavs being able to just kind of throw bench pieces out there and get the job done. It is uncanny, man. Like the, the amount of players here that step up, and I, I got to give like the ultimate credit to the, the coaching staff and um, general management for bringing these guys in. I mean, because on any given night, the, 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 the Cavs are rolling out different rotation pieces. I mean, we saw um, Ed Davis tonight, obviously. We, we saw Lamar Stevens, even though he's not starting any longer, being able to go out there and chip in eight points. Rondo coming back to the lineup. Just – very, very encouraging to see. And also, you know, obviously Dean Wade just being let out of his jail cell. So it's just. 3D. <laughs> yeah, very, very encouraging to see. And for for a coaching staff to be able to get this amount of production out of any number of guys at any point in time, that's just. If, if JB Bickerstaff is not like the front runner or at least in the top three for coach, uh, for coach of the year, I don't know what the hell is going on at this point. Yeah, I know. It's probably between him and the knowing them, the, knowing the media, they're going to be like, oh my God, what Steve Kerr has done down in Golden State is simply magical. <laughs> Steve Kerr can go to hell. No. <laughs> I'm just, no, I'm just playing. But, uh, but for real, I think I really do think JB deserves it. But we know that the Cavs are, the Cavs are not like uh, a media darling. They're, they're not going to get a, a, a ton of votes in that regard, if you ask me. I, can, um, I would think that, like, if the Lakers went 42 and 40, like, miraculously coming back, there'd be media members that are like, you know, Frank Vogel, <laughs> he really turned that ship around. Right. The from, way he from, benched Russell. <laughs> from people wanting to fire Frank to winning coach of the year, like, the true success story. <laughs> <laughs> They're just like, man, that Lakers 42 and 40 team, that took a lot of work to get that roster going. <laughs> What do you think about that, by the way? Like, I know this is obviously this is not a Lakers podcast, but that is an interesting uh, question. What do you think about that benching? I, I think it makes sense. Like Russell Westbrook is a he, he the last two minutes of the game. It's going to come down to who shoots it better. The defense won't just allow for Russ to like muscle his way through and just dunk on Rudy Gobert on every possession like we see on Twitter once every month. Like it makes a lot of sense, especially for LeBron teams. Like LeBron's going to hold the ball in the last two minutes. What's LeBron going to do? Kick it out to Russ and hope Russ hits a three pointer, even though he's one of the worst three point shooters of all time, given the attempts he has. Like it just doesn't make a sense for a LeBron team whatsoever. I, uh, I just, I can't like imagine how fine. I think this Lakers team would have been just fine if they just kept the roster intact, didn't make these weird trade that weird trade for Russ. Like, I think having Harrell and KCP and Kuzma back would have been a lot better. Yeah, I mean, I obviously, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. If if the Lakers could go back, they would <laughs> almost certainly do that at this point. Uh, I mean, can you blame them? I mean, this this just proves the old adage that you know, great talent does not necessarily always indicate great fit. Um, Especially when the great talents from 2010. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'll say this. I think Russell Westbrook is a fine player, but the problem with Russell Westbrook 
is that you have to build the entire team around Russell Westbrook. This is very similar to a man up in the Philadelphia area that shall not be named. You have to build the team around him in order for him to be successful, or at least you have to support him with shooters just everywhere. And the Lakers are not necessarily flush with that. And they also employ the services of, you know, whatever your opinion is, 1A to 1B, the greatest player of all time. Yeah, um, I want to flex my co-host muscles here and ask you a question about, I don't know if you saw that Russell Westbrook trade rumor that came up around Twitter uh, earlier or later last week, how the Cavs were, quote unquote, kicking the tires. Oh, my God. Yes, I did. (laughs) (laughs) I looked at that and at first I was like, no way. And then it was one of those things where I was like, that that can't happen, can it? (laughs) Like, I'm like, Kobe Altman would swing. From like a purely cap standpoint, I suppose you could figure out a way to make it happen. But I think it was Colin, Jetty, Kevin Love, and a first. <laughs> I'm like, where's this first coming right. from in the first place? <laughs> like, it better be like a 2026 first or something. I don't want to see for a while. I want the rights to Bronny James in the draft. That's the only there thing I'll go. take. There we go. Sold. You know, I might do that just to set the Cavs up in the future, but. To, to, to be serious about that. Nah, man, it's just like people, I think people get so just hungry for the Cavs to make a move that they'll suggest anything. I know. Uh, and there's like the most tight-lipped organization out of most of them. Like any big trade rumor you hear about is never true when it comes to this team, I feel like. I'm going to ask you a question. Oh. <laughs> Who has had the better tenure uh, over the the better Cavs GM tenure over their time. Kobe's been here for what, three years? This is fourth mm-hmm. season, three or four years. David Griffin or Kobe Altman? Uh, I think it's more impressive what Kobe Altman has done because he kind of got left with like, here is one draft pick. <laughs> he got left with shit. <laughs> yeah, and then like David Griffin, it's like you have the bountiful – resources of having a crappy team for four years and it's like all right now just kind of do what you want with it and lebron's also basically going to be over your shoulder hand picking all your moves anyway so at the end of the day his moves will fall on you and now we as we're seeing with david griffin in new orleans he got handed a war chest of uh players and picks and it's turned into zion williamson going apparently in and out of 50 pound fluctuations and brandon ingram (laughs) So I think at the end of the day, I'm much more impressed with what Kobe Kobe did because it's just like, tell me that when this, when LeBron left the second time that you thought in four years, we were going to have this many great players already available. Hell no. I mean, look, and the dude, has he had his ups and downs? Certainly, but far more ups than downs. Yes, we know. And people will continuously, this will always be something that's continuously tied to Kobe Owens' name. And that is the the presence of Kevin Porter Jr. Um, that will always be something that that probably haunts the Cavs fans because we, we, we all wanted Kevin to work out in Cleveland, right? I mean. Oh, yeah. I was so pumped when we got him at 30. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I was too. And it's just like, obviously, we know why he went that low. Because from purely a talent standpoint, he could have went top 10, maybe top five. There were rumors we were going to take him at five. Yeah. I mean, he he was that talented. still is that talented, but he's a head case. So it's just, you know, that would be one move that are, is forever going to be tied to Kobe Owens' legacy. But when I think about Kobe Elman, I think about the numerous times that he's been able to fleece opposing teams mm. for for very good talent. I mean, and obviously the biggest name that comes to uh, comes to mind with that is Jared Allen. I mean, yep. j- just being able to sneak in and grab Jared and to a lesser extent, um, getting Torn Prince in said deal. I mean, geez, I mean that that that's nothing short of breathtaking. I remember at the time I was like, man, I kind of like Torian. <laughs> yeah, I did too. I thought, you know, for, for what the Cavs needed um, and they could surely use him now. <laughs> uh, yeah. But from, from what was needed at the time, they definitely, it was, a, it was a good pickup, but we all know Jarrett was like the, the, the headline of that, of that uh, trade in regards to the Cavs. 
I remember I jumped off my couch. I was like, oh my God, what? <laughs> like we got Jared out and because you heard all day about that James Harden trade, just like ready to like the ax was going to come down. And I'm like, oh, great. Like whatever. Can't wait to see a super team being built. And then I saw James Harden traded to Nets and then like three things down. It's like Cavs acquired Jared Allen. I'm like, what? <laughs> like I, I would really have loved to have been a fly on the wall when Kobe was making that deal. Like, I don't know how he was able to talk them into that. And then you take into account his other moves. I mean, being able to flip Torin for Ricky Rubio, that's big mm-hmm. time. Um, all the Ruby, Rubio's hurt now. It's just, you know, we we would not have won as many games, especially with Sexton going out without Rubio on the floor for as long as he was. Mm-hmm. Um, getting Rondo pretty cheaply. No offense to Denzel Valentine. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and then, you know, the draft picks, uh, you, you look at the positioning of where he was at, you know, uh, eighth overall, you get Colin Sexton and he, uh, to me, he did arguably as good as he could with that pick without, yeah, I feel like up. there's no whiffs in his draft. Like, I, I guess like, if you want to call Dylan Windler a whiff, you can, but at the same time, like we're ta- like, when you have those top 10 pick it's like more likely than not you're drafting a non-factor, but like you're just drafting a player hoping on what they can be. Yeah. And I would say out of all the picks, like I I would probably have been the worst GM in the NBA with these picks. Cause every time he's drafted someone, I went into the draft wanting someone else. And then I always, am like, God damn it. And then I'm like, you know what, whatever. And then I fall in love with the player like a month in and I'm like, Oh my God, this is so great. Yeah. I mean, same way here. I mean, um, Colin Sexton, I mean, maybe that's the exception, but it's not exactly like I wanted Darius Garland. Um, just purely based upon one, only got to see the kid at the time play what five games, mm-hmm. and it's just not a, a large sample size. Um, you learn more from his high school film than you learned from his college film, yeah. I mean, definitely, definitely true in that regard. And then Isaac Okoro, like going to see that draft, I mean, I'll be honest with you guys, I kind of wanted it to be topping. <laughs> oh, I wanted Denny Advia. <laughs> uh, you, you could make a case for Denny too. You could definitely make a case for him there. And Washington, um, you know, definitely got, I think he's going to be a late bloomer for real. Um, I, I think he's definitely, he's already a serviceable bench player, mm-hmm. which is like, that's great to get that anyway. Like no team's going to complain being like, oh man, I got a, a contributor to my team in my top 10 pick. <laughs> There's a lot of teams I can't say that. Yeah, no, certainly, certainly. And then, you know, with Okoro, I think the the most important thing to remember with him is just like the Cavs clearly needed perimeter defense. It was like one of the biggest needs that the Cavs had going into that draft, and we knew that this guy was going to take some time. He's going to he's going to need to marinate for a little while, especially on offense. But he he certainly has the potential to be a high end three and D guy, or perhaps you know two way star one day, but one, you know, a couple of different things have to shake out in regards to that. One, you have to be able to afford him the opportunity. Um, he's getting that now as the team's starting two guard, although I don't really consider him a two guard at this point. Um, and you have to give him the time to actually develop. So, you know, those two things can go a long way in determining just what his development cycle ends up being. And so... You know, for for what it's worth, man. Like these are my thoughts on the on the season in regards to him. Um, although it sucks, like it it is like a travesty to me that Colin went down, especially when he was really truly in the first season in which his team was actually going to be competitive. Mm-hmm. It was very That's, easy for people to slap empty calories on Colin Sexton as a player. Yeah, and that that I mean, it irritates me when 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 that happens. But I also, you know, I do understand the the trope that goes along with, oh, um, you know, putting up stats on a bad team. But my point in saying all this is just that this has afforded the Cavs an opportunity to see what Isaac Okoro will look like as a starter at the two. Yeah, so, for sure. Especially with the tall lineup now. Like, we'll never see Okoro in the starting lineup if we're going to keep running this tall ball three. Yeah, it's just like, uh, you know, if you're – objective if you're the Cavs, if your objective is to continue to you know hold on to larry marketing and you know obviously you've got jared on a long-term extension and you have evan who you've just drafted who's on a rookie for a deal for a while 
you've kind of locked into place what your, you know, what three through five are going to look like. Mm -hmm. Um, You can also, you know, you can always make a deal and restructure, but, and and you know, Darius is your guy at the one. It's really just the two that's up in the air. And so that's, that's a discussion obviously for another day, you know, Colin versus, versus um, Isaac in that regard for the starting role. But my point in saying all this again, is just that with, Colin go and when Colin went down, that did afford the Cavs an opportunity to to, to further evaluate what Isaac Coral could be with the ball in his hands and as a you know as the two guard. So it's definitely something to keep an eye on moving forward. So definitely enjoy watching that. Can agree more. <laughs> uh, and with that being said, we can go ahead and move over to the first edition of the Cavs mailbag something that we have never done here on the it's cavalier podcast <laughs> so yeah. yeah i'm i'm excited about it you know i was honestly i was worried about not having enough questions for this because <laughs> <laughs> we are by no means large enough to have a uh, a fan base that will provide those but we've been lucky mac we are the premier dean wade podcast <laughs> Premier Dean Wade podcast. I love it. <laughs> uh, with that being said, man, I will go ahead and kick it off with a question from David Hull on Twitter. So he asked, what is your all-time Cavs roster? And the second question is, what is the ceiling for this young Cavs team this year? And so, Corey, I'm going to let you take the first swing at this. Oh, my God. <laughs> Sorry, what a dude. Loaded question. Uh, so, I, I'm I just, assuming. I'm assuming what he's talking about by roster is maybe like all time starting five. That's what I was gonna pivot to, because <laughs> you know, doing like the full 13 man roster could leave a lot of uh, broken hearts. Yeah, I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna pull up the 2K all time Cavs team. Just start calling off names at that point. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, all time starting five. We'll go that route. Uh, ooh, I, I'm trying to debate if I want to go conventional or unconventional <laughs> with just positional fits. I'm going to go unconventional. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Uh, I'll go for Kyrie at the one. I'll go for Darius at the two. Go for a really small ball, one-two punch. Uh, LeBron at the three. Shocker. Yeah, you know, that that was totally coming. Uh, um, I got to stick to my guns here and uh, put Kevin Love at the four. <laughs> And then I'm going for Big Z at the five. Man, I have after hearing yours, it's just like no love for the pre 2000 Cavaliers. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I I can only come from a place of what I've watched with my eyes in lifetime. Fair, very fair. I'll give you that. I will definitely give you that. And so I'm kind of in the same boat here. Um, so I would definitely we can go with the more unconventional look i suppose on my end um i'm gonna start Kyrie. you know you cannot have can't not have Kyrie in your all-time starting five for the Cavs. i mean he delivered on the biggest shot in Cavs history regardless of how you feel from him off the court mm-hmm. um number two at this point in time for me that that's where that's this is the hard spot because there's a number of guys here that i could who i could think about putting him you know, them here. Um, Andre Miller, he deserves a little bit of love, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, Darius Garland is looking like he is off to an all-star season this year, we hope. Um, so I'll go ahead and put Darius there, although there's a couple other guys. Austin Carr. <laughs> Mo uh, Williams. <laughs> yeah, Mo, Mo. I mean, one-time all-star Mo. Um, Heck yeah. <laughs> definitely a lot of guys you can consider there. LeBron at the three. Um, Kevin Love, you know, eighth year in Cleveland. Definitely is going to retire a Hall of Famer, if you ask me. Um, so he's at the four. And number five for me is what is like the most difficult thing for me because I want to go Anderson Vergeau. You want to go Shaq. Don't kid yourself. <laughs> <laughs> ah, yes. Win a ring for the king. <laughs> Tim or Timothy. It's a real toss up. Oh, yeah. But at the five, I'm going to go Tristan Thompson. Nice. Alrighty. So the second part of that question was, uh, what do you think is the ceiling for this young Cavs team this year? So I'll let you go ahead and answer that first. Um, I've been on the mindset that this team is a, 
its ceiling is playing a very good matchup against, uh, I imagine this team has a four or five. So depending on who that ends up being, this Cavs team can squeak out a first round win or they give up a real close series against whoever the five is. Like we've talked about it in the past episode. Like let's say it turns into Philly. I'd be a little more confident in that situation. But if it's like a Miami or like, let's say Milwaukee just gets hit by injury bugs and they end up slipping to the four or Brooklyn slips to the four, it could really, or Chicago even like it really, there's a lot of tough matchups for this young Cavs team, especially at the offensive firepower that they have now. Like I, I see a real tough time for them matching uh, going toe to toe offensively with a lot of these East playoff teams. That's completely fair. I mean, with the East as stacked as it is, and you know, I'm not going to mince words here. I, I wholeheartedly believe the East is the the much better conference this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and with that being said, I think for me, I think the Cavs' ceiling, especially with all the injuries considered at this point, I would say. I mean, you can never say never, but at this point, the ceiling that I'll give them is the second round. Um, uh, yeah, I definitely agree with your take on this. Um, it's really, to me, going to be heavily matchup dependent because mm-hmm. we've seen now that the, and I don't want to say, I don't want to, I, I'm not going to use the word blueprint necessarily, but we have seen that ca- the teams have been able to play the Cavs in a very specific way and been able to shut them down. So there certainly in, is a formula. Yeah, there's, there's definitely a formula out there. I hesitate to use the word blueprint, but formula is probably, it feels a little bit safer to say. Mm-hmm. Um, I do not want to see the Bulls in a seven-game series. <laughs> I like to see DeMar in the playoffs. He's really clutch that way. I mean, I want to see him. I don't want to see him against the Cavs. <laughs> uh, he hasn't fared well <laughs> in the postseason. Yeah. Um, I do not want to see them against Chicago. And the one series that I would like to see the Cavs play is Brooklyn. And I know people are going to think, like, and they're going to get their ads kicked. In a seven games, <laughs> fully healthy. And I understand that sentiment. But why I want to see that matchup is because I want to see the Cavs be in a position where they have to go all out and be able to prove something. Because if the Cavs are able to beat the Nets, they can beat anybody in the East, in my opinion. It's just yeah. that, that that's probably as simple as I can put it in that regard. So I hope that answers your question, David. Um, uh, I just wanted to ask you, uh, I think the worst nightmare for the Cavs is Milwaukee. Like, I think Milwaukee is like nightmare fuel for this Cavs team. I don't like, I think of they, they'll, I don't see any situation in which they would beat Milwaukee in the seven game series. I would have to agree with you. I do not want to see Giannis go up and block Isaac Okoro again. That was like <laughs> hands down one of the top five plays that I, that I hated watching the Cavs experience this year. One of them for sure. Um, with that being said, we can go ahead and move on to the next question. This one is from Renzo on Twitter. He asks, what do you think the Cavs or the, the question, the wording of the question is, who do you think the Cavs will trade for or even if they will and which Cavs player will be traded? So I'm I'm interpreting this just as, you know, if the Cavs were to make a trade, who do you think is going to be brought in and who do you think is going to be shipped out? Mm. So I guess since I made you answer that last question first, <laughs> put you on the spot, I'll take this one. Um, I'll start off by saying this, Renzo. You've heard my thoughts on Karis LeVert. Um, fan of the player, but not fan of the player on this team because of the, just as Corey stated, to me, he is a lesser efficient, uh, lesser efficient duplicate of what Colin Sexton, uh, what he provides you. So in regards to next season, I just don't think that'll bode very well for the Cavs, especially when we, I don't think you can pencil in Colin, but I, I think there's probably about an 85 to 90% chance the Colin Sexton returns to the Cavs next season. It's not an off season with a lot of cap space. So I think Colin returns, and I think if you bring in Karras, you're really going to offset the capabilities that Colin brings to the table. Not to mention, if you're considering bringing back Ricky Rubio, you are now throwing out Darius Garland, Ricky Rubio, 
um, Colin Sexton, Karis LeVert, and you're going to have to figure out minutes for each of those players and Isaac Okoro. You have to figure out what ultimately is the best fit for him. So I, I don't like Karis LeVert. Um, Eric Gordon, a lot of people love that name. I don't because, one, the price tag, and uh, in, in purely in terms of his salary, and the cost is a point of contention for me, I think. Um, there was a report out there today that they're they're looking to hold on to him, and mm-hmm. I they're they're looking for a first rounder, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that's what I saw too. So, no, I am not giving up a first rounder. I'll just be flat out. I'm not giving up a first rounder and Ricky Rubio for Eric Gordon. Not happening. <laughs> you can have yeah, Ricky no. in a second, maybe. Um, not one of the top ones either. I wouldn't want to give away that those top two second round picks we have, they're going to basically be really late firsts. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's precisely how I feel at this point. So I'm out on Eric Gordon. I'm out on Karis LeVert. If the Cavs ultimately had to make a deal, I would not be okay with it unless it was for, you know, somebody like Brandon Ingram, which we know is a near uncertainty. (laughs) Well, uncertainty (laughs) rather. Um, So at this point, I guess you could say this. I am not really in favor of the Cavs making a move just because they're razor thin on assets as it is. Um, Players are dropping like flies. And I get that you could spin that another way as a, well, we, we need somebody now, but I prefer not to look at it that way. I think this season talked about this numerous times. This is not a season in which you push in the chips. This is more so an evaluation year and the Cavs are, you know, playing well above expectations. And so I think you just need to stay the course. Corey, chime in. I um I find that a lot of the players in the market, I don't know if you feel the same way, Mac, are also all kind of the same type of player. It's like all these Karis Levert to combo guards, scoring minded players. I feel like this team really needs to acquire a true small forward to come off the bench because we can't just play like the Cavs basically are playing without a small forward, like on their roster. Jetty is our small forward. We have one Dylan Wendler kind of fluctuates between the two and the three Jetty. Not really a also, true one. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I struggle to find a player that's at the three that I would really want. Cause I just like, I don't like trading for the same types of players we already have on the roster just cause they're injured. And I feel like that's what the Cavs are stuck in a situation of like when Laurie got injured, everyone's like, what player can we trade for that fills exactly what Laurie does? And I'm like, Laurie's going to come back. Colin Sexton's going to come back. Ricky Rubio could come back. It's like, we, we can't keep flipping these players or pieces for players that already exist on this roster, especially if we're not pushing, we're not like, we're not a title contender. It's it doesn't make sense. It's not like we're one move away from becoming this like insane powerhouse in the the NBA. It's like oh, oh like a Brandon Ingram move, like you said, would swing the pendulum. I don't think any of these minor moves with the assets that we're willing to give away are going to result in that. Yeah, I mean I, that's exactly how I feel. It's just not in a position right now to really give up a lot of assets, nor do I think they should. Um, any marginal move is not really going to move the needle all that much in the grand scheme of things. And I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but that that's kind of what we love about Kobe. Um, you know, he's able to kind of bring these guys in on the cheap and anybody who's actually going to move the needle is going to cost you something. So, I mean, that's just where I'm at, but I do agree. We, we do need like a true three because I do not consider Dean Wade a three. I, and I certainly do not consider Lamar Stevens like a, a true uh, three. So you consider him a two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know it. Um, uh, I hope that answers your question though, Renzo. It's just, it's, it's one of those things that you're going to have to kind of play it by ear. And I, I'm very anxiously awaiting the trade deadline. Cause at the end of the day, I'm kind of hoping that nobody has moved unless it's like a, a miraculous deal that brings in, like I said, Ingram or somebody of that nature, but I just don't see it happening. Um, Corey, I know <laughs> that you made it a point, man. Your uncle, listener of the show, he has some questions for us. Uh, yeah, this question comes from Tom Quayle, aka my uh, uncle Tom. <laughs> 
He says uh, Darius Garland is playing heavy minutes. Should the Cavs try to rest him more? And uh, I feel like we saw that a lot today, that that was an issue. So, Mac, I'll let you uh, take this one. Certainly. Uh, Uncle Tom. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yes, it would be nice if they could, but they're not. (laughs) It's pretty apparent. You don't have a like a, a true presence out there as starting next to Garland to kind of take the uh, the wear and tear off of him, take the the weight of the offense off his shoulders. You just don't. I mean, Ricky's gone, Collins out, and you, you just at any given point at the two guard, you just don't know what you're going to get in terms of facilitation. Um, was nice to see Isaac kind of you know have some have some nice passes out there, but he's very much a work in progress. And then when you look at the bench, uh, Rajon Rondo, you know, he's still working his way back from injury. And to be quite honest with you, I still see a lot of times at which those two sharing the floor together um, looks a little wonky and they're still trying to figure it out. So Darius by default just kind of has to stay out there because you, you need shooting. And although Although uh, Rajan is a player that seems to have all of a sudden turned it around at three-point line, um, he's not consistent. He's not what you could consider a knockdown shooter by any means. So finding rest for DG is going to be incredibly hard, and that is why you are seeing him consistently playing like 37 or more minutes a night. And, I mean, I don't know about you, Corey, but – I I don't believe in the fact that just because a player is young, they can play forever. <laughs> they can play yeah, no. like as many minutes as needed because we have clearly seen that take its toll on uh, young players over the years. So um, I guess, you know, I'll throw it back to you, man. Like what is the best way to find DG rest? Can it be done? It has to be done at some point because you especially see with these smaller guards when they get tossed around because Darius isn't exactly the most physically imposing point <laughs> guard in the NBA. Like Not those screens all. after like getting uh, really hit with a hard screen for like the fifth time. And it's only the second quarter. You can imagine why Darius is constantly grabbing his back at times. I'm oh, not that'll make you think twice. That'll, that'll make <laughs> you think twice. I don't know how we haven't seen Darius start popping Advil on the bench as he's like just tending to his back. What feels like after every possession, I feel like at some point this is really just going to be a detriment to the Cavs rather than just being like, see, this offense is sustainable. If we keep Darius out for almost the entire game, this is great. I mean, is it sustainable? Like, can you actually, this is to a lesser extent, like the LeBron like type of, the deal here is just like the offense craters when you don't have him facilitating or you don't have him orchestrating the offense. It's just like, can the Cavs win if you're trying to keep him, you know, below, like I would say, I'm just going to throw a number out there, 36 minutes a game. Can they, can they actually win with that? I think if they really start being strategic with the minutes, then possibly, because I think we have, Rajon Rondo can do a lot of the passing work that DG can, but like we said at the beginning of this episode, like his, the way that Darius has that offensive gravity to be able to suck deep, like defenders towards him at all times and keep everyone's eyes locked on him. It really, if, if he's not out there, the pick and roll becomes a completely different game. And now it's like if Rajon Rondo runs it with Jared Allen or Evan Mobley or Kevin or Dean Wade, like no one's going to be thinking, oh crap, I got to make sure that someone's back on Rondo after this pick and roll. It's going to be like, all right, let's just focus on the big that just ran towards the rim or popped back out because unless Rajon Rondo is really feeling himself on that particular day, which seems like he is definitely feeling himself as a late, uh, that offense is going to be very vanilla for big stretches. Yeah, I mean, it's just, one of those things. And to me, when you, when you really look at what Rondo brings to the table, um, one of the things just to try to tie this in is that one of the things that we loved about Ricky was his like seamless fit between, you know, when DG leaves the floor and Ricky is conducting the offense, it's like you almost lost nothing um, from that standpoint. He, he had arguably, you know, just as good as a chemistry with Cleveland's bigs as DG does. And 
I think we're still kind of seeing Rondo trying to develop that. I mean, it's fair. He just got here. But Rondo is very much a uh, one-dimensional player, if you ask me, in regards to offense at this point in his career. So there's there's only so much you can do. And with the Cavs kind of lack of, you know, perimeter shooting within the starting lineup without uh, Larry Markkinen, and having Rondo out there for long stretches of time when you don't have DG on the floor, to me, is just sometimes it, it, it's rough to watch. Um, I don't know. It's just th- those are just my thoughts on it. But I just I don't see a really a, a great option here. But as you say, they're going to have to. Oh, yeah. I don't want to like uh, completely interrupt the flow, but Darius Garland on Instagram just posted the picture of him doing that gesture and just comments, bing bong. Oh, my God. <laughs> See, this, this goes back to what I was saying. Like, he's like coming out of his shell. He's sneakily, like, he, he's one of those dudes that will taunt you now. He, I didn't see that in his game the first two seasons. Yeah, I feel like Shaq on Inside the NBA, I want underdog to put this on a t shirt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, like you knew, like Colin. Colin is like one of the guys. He is a bull out there, like literal. He'll go out there. He'll he'll chirp at you. But DG, I just I didn't see that coming from him. Uh, but this Cavs team needs that right now. <laughs> need some dogs. Yeah, I mean, you might you need Lamar to go out there and just start snarling and growling at you. But, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I hope that answers your question to a certain extent, Uncle Todd. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm never gonna let that go, Alex. <laughs> All righty. Um, next question up from Eric Schroeder on Twitter as well. Who seems to be the most? Uh, who seems to be the most realistic and best fit of all the rumored players available? Also, would the Cavs be willing to give up a first, figuring they could use Rubio expiring in a first for the right deal? Um, Corey, I guess. For me, like the the thing that sticks out above all else, because we just talked about this again, the first rounders, <laughs> uh, the first rounders are like a, a sour point for me. They're like a, a big point of contention in any one of these deals, just because, as you said, like so many of them are like the same mold of player that we already have. Yeah. Um. Do you want to answer this one? Like who of the rumored players available? I'm assuming that's uh, Karis LeVert, Eric Gordon. Do we consider Buddy Hield available? Uh, no, but that is the player I would pick <laughs> of the group. <laughs> I I put on a Twitter poll just like kind of as a feeler, like which Kings player between Harrison Barnes and Buddy Hield would you want from the Kings if they were available? Because I feel like those are the two that are linked to the Cavs more likely than not. And I just think Buddy Heald is exactly what this team needs. Like, or like a Joe Harris type, you really could pick either or, and I'd be fine with it. I just want someone who's unconsciously going to shoot threes at will. That isn't like seven feet or taller. (laughs) Would you give up a first in Rubio for Buddy or Joe? Uh, Probably not. That's like the thing that I don't like the cap hits for Buddy Heald too are pretty ridiculous. Like it's not something I'm like, I wish I could just be like, you know what? We'll like in soccer, like we're, we could just loan hit, like loan him to us for the season. We'll they pay his crazy season. rules. <laughs> I would take a loan of Buddy Heald for the season and then be like, you know what, buddy, this has been great. We both grew from this experience. Now you can go back to sacked out. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, that if basketball, if the NBA as a whole could do that, you would see some very interesting acquisitions. And how um, often do you get the second version of Steph Curry? You know, <laughs> just like the Kings owner said. Yeah, um, yeah, I don't know, man. That's just it's another one of those tough, tough questions to answer, just because I don't really see like in the trade market because it's all rumors now. Nothing is like concrete. You mm-hmm. you never really know who is available. Um, but of all the guys that are, uh, I kind of agree with you, but of all the guys that you would think would be a best and most realistic fit, I guess he'll would be out there along with Harris. Um, Terrence Ross, I guess you could throw him in the mix. Just yeah, to me, it depends. And to, to be honest with you, dude, I'd rather have Terrence Ross than Karis LeBert. Yeah, same here. Cause like, it's a uh, much less of a commitment at the same time. 
Like I, I'm fine with the idea of short-term rentals on the cheap, like these Rajon Rondo type acquisitions. I'd be fine if we did, we pulled the trigger on another one of those. Like we send Pangos out for someone else and like a second, we trade like a second round pick for, <laughs> for someone. <laughs> I, I'll be fine with that. Yeah. Give me like uh, I'll give you contact the Spurs and trade Kevin Pangos and a second rounder for, Kata Bates, the op. Uh, yeah, or maybe like uh, let Thad Young escape from hell, I guess, because I guess that's what that situation has turned to in San Antonio. Yeah, that's weird, ain't it? Yeah, um, I don't I don't understand. I feel like San Antonio is just such a weird team these days. Yeah, I don't I really don't know what to make of like their entire the entirety of their roster. Uh but Eric, I hope that answers your question. Um I know your uncle had another one in there. Um, and so I guess we can go ahead and end the show on that one. <laughs> you care to read that off? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Lori had a great game in Chicago. Can we count on him going forward? <laughs> this was right after, uh, you know, right before it all fell apart. Uncle Tom, I can be your insider, your Chris Fedor, if you will. Uh, no. <laughs> oh, Uncle Tom. Dude. We shouldn't laugh, I guess. Um, not about the Lowry injury. Um, Just hides I'll, my pain. It's a coping <laughs> yeah, mechanism. <laughs> that's precisely what it is. Uh, you have to laugh to avoid crying, right? Um, Too late. In regards to these injuries. <laughs> so, um, just tough. Just <laughs> Oh man, I, uh, we, well, we don't have to blame us. We can just blame him for why Dean Wade is starting. Wow, great deflection. <laughs> no us. Uh, thanks for taking the blame, Uncle Tom. Uh, yeah, shout no, out man. to Tom. He lives in Cleveland. <laughs> you need to find him. Man, with that being said, we're going to go ahead and bring today's episode to a close. Um, like I always tell you guys, if you'd like to reach out to us, you can at it's Cavalier underscore pod on Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, YouTube. Also, if you'd like to reach out, uh, reach out to us personally, you can at Devron Perry and at common underscore core. Have a good one.